Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Today, I want to go all the way back to Genesis and look at a guy named Jacob. Do you remember him? I have preached a version of this sermon before, but it's been many years, and this is bound to be at least a little different because I don't have that sermon uh, written down, or I couldn't find it if I do. And I was actually reading, I was reading in several places, uh, but I was looking in Deuteronomy, looking at, I've made several references, uh, several over the past several weeks, past several messages anyway, uh, referring to the promises. Uh, This is Moses' valediction as the children of Israel are getting ready to inhabit the land of promise. And Moses repeats, recites, during his sermon, a list of promises and blessings and warnings for the people. When you come into this land, do this. And if you do this, this will happen to you. But if you do this, this will happen to you. But the promises are pretty glorious. Promises of provision, promises of abundance, promises of healing, promises of protection. And it's exciting to me because we read in the New Testament that all these promises are yes in Christ and in him, amen. And I came across this phrase as I'm reading through Moses' sermon. And of course, we see this phrase often in the Bible. And it's this, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the God we serve. Abraham, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Abraham, of course, the father of the faith, uh, the one who entered into covenant with God and this threefold promise that we still celebrate. I will bless you, I will make you a blessing, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And we know that this is a direct reference to the Messiah. In you all the families of the earth will be blessed. He, what he was referring to, whether Abraham grasped it at that moment, probably not, is that among his descendants would be the Messiah for the world, the Savior. And then there's Isaac, son of Abraham, the child of promise, described by one Christian writer years ago as an insignificant hyphen between a father and a son. And that's really unfair. His life, particularly the episode early in his life when Abraham took him to sacrifice him in obedience to the Lord, gives us perhaps the clearest Old Testament picture of what God did with Jesus 2,000 years later, 2,000 years ago. And then there's Jacob, the son of Isaac and Rebekah, twin brother of Esau, and most of you know the story, but I'm going to give you a quick version of it as background to the single point I want to make today. Abraham sent his servant, Eliezer, to Padan Aram to find a wife for Isaac from Abraham's people. And and, uh, Rebekah comes back with Eliezer and is married to Isaac. And Rebekah gives birth to twins, Jacob and Esau. Esau is born first, but as he's coming out, they see that Jacob has grasped Esau's heel. Esau was born with hair all over him. So they named him Esau, which means hairy. 
He was very much the outdoorsy type, living in the woods and the fields, hunting all the time, so they called him Dirty Harry. <laughs> it's just kind of funny that they named him Harry, and Harry's still a name today. I know they, just, they spelled it different. Anyway, Jacob, Jacob means supplanter, usurper, or deceiver, or deceitful. And this is not just because of the heel thing, but because of what God had spoken to Rebecca while she was pregnant. She, was this, she could sense these babies struggling in her womb. She said, if, if everything's all right, why doesn't it feel all right? And she had a word from the Lord uh, saying that uh, there are two nations struggling within her and that the, the older would serve the younger. She had this word from the Lord. Anyway... Rebecca's favorite son, perhaps because of that word, or maybe just because she liked more refined men, was Jacob. Isaac's favorite was Esau. Jacob is sometimes referred to as a mama's boy because it said he was a mild man, but the word mild in Hebrew actually refers to stability, solidity, wholeness even, complete. Uh, but there's this, uh, Esau, he was, he was almost a wild man, just uh, he loved to be outdoors hunting all the time. And of course, there's a very famous episode where Esau, after spending however long out in the field, comes in and he's hungry. In fact, he says, I'm starving to death. And there's Jacob cooking this stew. And he says, give me some of that red stuff. I'm about to die of hunger. And Jacob says, sure, I'll give you some. Actually, I'll trade you. You sell me your birthright. I'll give you some of this food. Now, the birthright was, was simply me, it meant when the, the, when the patriarch, when the, when the head of the family died, the person with the birthright, the eldest son in this case, would, be, would inherit leadership of the family and receive a double portion of the inheritance. Okay? And you could sell birthrights. It was at least a common tradition in that area. I don't think God approved of it, but it was allowed by local custom, but it certainly wasn't God's plan for people generally to go around selling their birthright, and Esau sold it awfully cheap <laughs> for a for a bowl of stew. And there's a whole other sermon there that I'm not going to preach today about how he traded a birthright, something that was worth a lifetime of preeminence for an immediate, tangible satisfaction of an immediate lust. Like I said, that's another sermon. But when Isaac was old, he called for Esau and told him, uh, I don't know when it's going to be, but I know I'm approaching death. I'm old, and I want to speak my blessing over you while I still can, so do this for me. Go out and hunt like I know you love to hunt. Kill something and prepare it the way you know I love it prepared. Bring me a savory dish made with the animal that you kill today. And uh, the blessing, you need to understand, was, was very formal, and it was separate from the birthright. The blessing was spoken, it was a, just a, the, the father speaking into the life of the son and uh, speaking over their futures, very much inspired by God. And Rebecca overhears this. Isaac is going to speak a specific blessing over Esau. So she, she pulls Jacob aside and says, uh, hey, Here's the deal. While your brother's out hunting, you go in 
and will fool your dad into thinking you're Esau. So the blessing, we know he, how much he prefers Esau. So whatever blessing he speaks over, he thinks he's speaking over Esau, he can speak it over you. And Jacob said, he's going to know the difference. He's a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Uh, I, my clothes smell different because I live inside the tents all the time, and he lives outdoors. She says, don't worry about it. She puts goat skin on, an, on his arms, and every time I read that, I'm thinking, man, how hairy was this guy? And she puts Esau's clothing on him, which was even more important. And she goes out and prepares. She has Jacob bring her uh, some livestock, a goat or something from the pen. She makes uh, a stew or makes this savory dish and has Jacob uh, take it into Isaac. So Jacob walks in and says, hi, Dad. Brought you some food. And Isaac says, who are you? And Jacob says, I'm Esau, your firstborn. This was a blatant lie. This was deception. He was living up to his name, Jacob. And Isaac, even though he's uh, losing his eyesight and uh, perhaps not quite as sharp in, in all of his faculties, is, is not a doddering old fool. So he says, come closer. Let me touch you. So he touches his neck, and there's some you know, goat skin or something back there, touches his arms, and then he smells him and says, well, you kind of sound like Jacob, but you smell like Esau. There's something. And, uh, and so he, he's, he, he's convinced, and he speaks over Jacob, and I'm just going to, we're, we're in Genesis 27 now, and we'll just pick it up with the last thing he says in verse 29. He says this, let people serve you. Genesis 27, 29 let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren. Let your own mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. The word tells us that Jacob had just barely left when Esau shows up. Got your dinner here, Dad. Now you can bless me. And Isaac says, who are you? says, I'm Esau, your son. And then Isaac realized what's happened. He says, oh no, I've already spoken the blessing over your brother. And I can't take it back. And Esau's like, oh, he is sure living up to his name. Isn't he rightfully called Jacob, deceiver, supplanter? He already stole my birthright, which he didn't. He bought it. He says, and now, this is verse 36, I'll just read it from the Bible instead of paraphrasing. Esau said, is he not rightly called Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing, which he did, stole that. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? And Abraham does, or sorry, Isaac does. He, he does pronounce a blessing. It's not as good as the one he, he's already spoken over Jacob. But... When this is over, he walks out and he says to himself, the Bible says it says to himself, but then it also says Rebecca overheard it. So he apparently said it to somebody else. He said, the time of my father's mourning will be soon. So in, in other words, I don't know how long my father's going to live, but he's not far from dying. And when he dies, I will kill my brother Jacob. Well, Rebecca hears this and tells Jacob, you've got to get out of here. Esau will calm down but it's going to be a while, and it's not safe for you. So you go to Padan Aram which is, and to live with my, uh, with my brother, Laban. This would be Jacob's uncle, Laban. This is where Eliezer went to fetch Rebekah. Now she's saying to Jacob, you go there too uh, until it's safe to come back. 
And then she goes and she manipulates Isaac by getting him to urge Jacob to go and find a wife. You've got to send Isaac away. Send him back to my people uh, to find a good girl so he, doesn't want, so he won't marry one of these stinking local girls. Uh, send him away just like you sent away for me or like your uh, father sent away for me. So Isaac says, you need to go find a wife from the uh, people of, uh, of your mother. And off he goes. And it's on the way to Padanaram that uh, Jacob spends the night and he has this famous dream that we call Jacob's ladder. He dreams of a ladder or a stairway with angels coming down, angels going up. They are, and it's it's this, uh, we'll see that Jacob thinks that what he's seeing is because there's something magical or significant about this spot. Oh, I have found this portal, I guess, where the business of heaven is being conducted. When really what God is showing is that the business of heaven is taking place all around us. Oftentimes when I'm referring to that passage, I'll I'll recite a poem that I'm not going to recite today, but I highly recommend you look it up. It is perhaps my favorite poem by Francis Thompson called In No Strange Land. So if you're a poetry fan, look that up. Anyway, uh, God in this dream appears at the top of this ladder and says, this is Genesis 28, beginning in verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. I am the Lord God of, your, God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the east and the west, to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Now, remember... When we see the, the word Lord in all caps, that this is the proper name for God, Yahweh or Jehovah. And God is saying, I am Jehovah, God of Abraham and Isaac. I want you to remember that phrase, God of Abraham and Isaac. God, Lord, Jehovah. And he is the God. He is the only God. But he identifies himself here as the God of Abraham and Isaac. And Jacob wakes up and says, wow, what are the odds? I fell asleep in none other than the house of God. As if, again, there was something inherently holy about the location. But here is a crucial moment in Genesis 28, beginning in verse 18. Then Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put into his head. You know, for being a smooth and refined man, he was pretty tough using a rock as a pillow. He took the stone that he had put at his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, meaning house of God. But the name of that city had been loose previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. 
and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Now there's the little bit on the tithe. Isn't that interesting? This is hundreds of years before the law. And here he is promising a tenth of all of his increase if God will simply bless him as he says he's going to. There, uh, there are some theological errors here. I mean, God's house is going to be this rock. I don't think God's going to be confined to that. And then there's also this whole idea that, that ought to something in us ought to viscerally react when we see somebody saying, if God will do this for me, then I will worship him. This conditional thing, right? But remember, and this is why it is so important to read things in context, it's why I always recommend reading the Bible through, okay? And there's so much you see in, in Genesis. It's so foundational for everything else. You've got to see the order these things take place in. But you need to understand that this is hundreds of years before Moses and the law. And it wasn't like they knew nothing. They knew a lot. They had a strong oral tradition, but it wasn't encoded. There was no law. They didn't have the book of Genesis to read. They certainly didn't have Leviticus. So there's a lot that they had to experience on their own. This is still a pretty bold prayer. God, if you will be with me in the way that I'm going, you'll keep me, prosper me, and bring me back safely to my father's house, you'll be my God too. Um, but you've also got to keep in mind that God was, and is, very patient, very merciful, because he didn't rebuke Jacob with this conditional worship. So Jacob goes on, and uh, he meets Rachel, and immediately falls in love without knowing who she is. That happened to me. 26 years ago, I saw a woman, and I fell in love with her immediately. I did. I saw her and said, I will marry that woman. And Tuesday, I celebrate 25 years married to that woman. Love you. So, turns out that this Rachel that he falls in love with just on sight is Laban's daughter. And he enters into a contract with Laban for seven years of labor for the privilege of marrying Rachel. And Laban pulls the old switcheroo uh, on the wedding night, and uh, Jacob wakes up to find, find out he's married Rachel's cross-eyed sister, Leah. And uh, here's Jacob, the deceiver, the manipulator, getting a master class on deception and manipulation from his uncle. And uh, Jake, he lets... Uh, he, they, they make this deal, and you know, Laban explains, oh, sorry, I, I thought you understood. I didn't say you couldn't marry Rachel. I just I meant you couldn't marry her first. We have to let the older girl marry first. You can still marry her for another seven years. So he enters into this other contract. He's got two wives. He's get, trying to raise his family, make his way. And then after seven years, Laban, uh, by this time, he can see that God is making him rich because God's favor and blessing rest on Jacob. So he's like, I want to keep this kid around as long as possible. Hey, will you stay and continue to work for me? And Jacob's like, man, you don't like the way you've treated me all these years, but here's what I want for my wages. And they make this deal where I will get to keep all, all of the livestock that looks like this. And right off the bat, before they start the deal, Laban and his sons go out and steal all the ones that look like that. 
He stacks the deck in his favor, and still God increases Jacob at this phenomenal rate. Jacob does, continues to do so well, even laboring under the, the master deceiver Laban, that Laban's sons get a little bit uptight, and they go to Laban and say, this guy, he's just milking us. This is all of our stuff, and uh, you know he really owes it all back to us. They're getting mad, and so God tells Jacob, hey, it's time to go home. Gather up your family, gather up your stuff, go back to your father's house, and I will go with you. So Jacob quickly does this. He gathers up his families, all of his possessions, his livestock, which were considerable by now. He takes off at night, and Laban pursues him, uh, probably intending to do him harm, but God actually speaks to Laban in a dream and says, go ahead, catch up with him, but just say your goodbyes. Don't you manipulate him, don't you flatter him into trying to stay, and don't you dare threaten him. Speak neither good nor evil to him. And uh, they have a tense confrontation that culminates with Jacob telling Laban off, telling him all that he endured, the losses that he absorbed, the way that he had enriched Laban, and that he was only taking what was his. And then in chapter 31, Genesis 31, beginning in verse 41, he says, Thus I have been in your house 20 years. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Notice again how Jacob identifies God as the God of his father and the God of his grandfather. So they make a treaty, Laban and Jacob, uh, not to cross into each other's territory for any evil purposes. And we read in 31 verse 53, Laban speaks this. He says, the God of Abraham the God of Nahor, and the God of their father judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Now the fear of Isaac, that's just, it's another name for God. But again, it doesn't say Jacob swore by Jehovah. It doesn't say that Jacob swore by his God. Swore by the God of his father. But the tensest confrontation was still in his future. Who's out there waiting for him at some point? Esau, the brother who swore to kill him, the one he really ripped off. And you remember the, the vow that he made at Bethel. If you will bring me back in peace, you will be my God. Now he's brought him back. He's brought him back wealthy. He's brought him back healthy. He's brought him back with family but he's not yet back in peace because there's still Esau to contend with. He gets word that Esau is on his way out to meet him with 400 men. This is not a good sign. So he makes all these contingency plans. He splits his whole his retinue and his family into two parties in case Esau decides to make war. At least half of them can get away. And the night before they meet... Jacob has another extraordinary experience. He wrestles with a man that we learn is an angel 
possibly, even probably, I think, the angel of God, a representation, the pre-incarnate Christ, maybe. But anyway, it was an angel, and wrestles with him all night. And as day begins to break, the angel says, let me go. And Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me first. And the angel says this, get this, what is your name? What did he say 20 years ago when Isaac asked him that? He lied. That's what got him into this whole scene. He's lied. I'm Esau, he said. Now he says, I am Jacob. I am a deceiver. I am a supplanter. And the angel says, not anymore. Now that you have confessed who you were, I'm going to give you a new name. Israel. Prince of God. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob and Esau meet. Jacob goes limping up to Esau because of how the angel had struck him in the hip. And it is a tense, emotional meeting, but peace prevails. Esau accepts a large gift from Jacob, and they part ways. And then, and this is the good part, this is the center of this message. Genesis chapter 33, beginning in verse 18. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padan Aram. And he pitched his tent before the city, and he, brought, he, he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent, from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohe Israel, God, the God of Israel. Jacob, sorry, Jacob was the son and the grandson, two great patriarchs. He knew God, sorry, he knew of God. He was raised believing in God and for his whole life was enjoying the blessings of God. But it was always his father's God and his grandfather's God, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac. Now he's fulfilling a vow. He looks back and sees the faithfulness and the power of God working in his life over the last 20 years. And Jacob now says, you are my God. When Jacob built this monument and called it God of Israel, he was not talking about the nation of Israel. That wouldn't be a thing for 400 years. Israel was his name. It would be like you building a monument saying, this is the God of Todd. This is the God of Scott. This is my God. Maybe you have grown up believing in God, believing in Christ, and maybe you have, in a way, inherited that belief, that faith, from your parents or your grandparents. And that's a good thing. It's a good legacy. Maybe you've grown up in church. Maybe you've grown up in this church. But sooner or later, you are going to have to own your faith. I want to caution you that we cannot legitimately approach it like Jacob did because we have more information. We also have more specific promises. We may look at this in weeks to come when God brought Jacob's descendants out of Egypt 400 years 
uh, after, sorry, when he brought them out, this is 400 years in the future, uh, he brought them out of Egypt and after taking care of them for 40 years, he began to direct their attention to that event. Now, he had done miraculous things, many of them seen with their own eyes, but from that point on, even though he continued to do great things, the event he kept taking them to was, look, remember what I did when I brought you out of Egypt. You and I have a Bible that has again and again outlived those who attack it and question its veracity. We have a history of God's dealings with his people. We have the evidence of thousands of years of testimony of believers. Jesus himself said, blessed is the one who has not seen and yet has believed. It doesn't mean we won't see. It doesn't mean we won't see miracles, fulfilled promises, etc. It simply means that we have much more to go on as a starting point than Jacob did. Do you get that? Jacob made a very serious vow based on what he had. You do this for me, do this for me, do this for me, and you will be my God. We have much more, much more to go on than Jacob did. We shouldn't say, God, prove yourself by blessing me, then I will follow you. When God says, I have proven myself throughout history, follow me and I will bless you too. You see the difference? Now there still does always remain this element of taste and see that the Lord is good. We open the door for God to work in our life. We'll see how good he is. And I also want you to know that there's a lot of heartache and struggle that God did not spare Jacob of, but he worked right there in the middle of it, he blessed him through it, proved himself to Jacob through all of it while building Jacob's character. And Jesus promised us that we would have trouble in this world. And he will prove himself faithful in the middle of it, and he's promised to never leave us for one second through all of it, every step of the way. But it must be your faith. He must be your God. And maybe you've never personally committed your life to him. Praise and worship team, you can be coming up here. Maybe you've never truly trusted him, not just with saving you from hell, but trusted him with your life starting now. Maybe you prayed a prayer of salvation, as I did, as a young child. But you haven't yet owned your faith. There's a difference. I got saved, and I believe I was well and truly saved around age 12. But I did not own my faith until I was 23. A very specific moment. I could, I, I'm not going to share that story right now. We're getting uh, short on time. Um, but if you've never heard it, uh, ask me and I'll share it with you privately sometime or stick around. It'll pop up in the sermon before too long. It always does. You have known God. You have known that He is God. Stand up with me. Will you say that He is your God? Will you say the Lord God, he is my God. Jehovah, Yahweh, is my God. When you do that, when you make that commitment based on who he is, not based on what you want, you will find yourself on the path of blessing. The blessings that are spelled out in Deuteronomy. And more blessings. 
But we today start with the simple truth that Jehovah is God and that Jesus, God the Son, provides the only way into relationship with him. And he does that through his death on the cross. And he validated that statement, that claim, by rising from the dead. And if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And when he saves you, he gives you a new life, a new heart, and begins to reveal himself in new ways. And I want to ask if you want to make that decision today. There's two groups of people I'm talking to, and I know we've had a time of ministry uh, today, but this is super important. If you've never made that commitment to Jesus Christ, if you thought, maybe, I know most of you, but I don't know every single person's heart. Maybe you've grown up thinking, well, I've always believed in God, and it just dawned on you, I have never made a personal commitment to Him. The God that I've, that I've known of is my father's God. It's my grandfather's God. It's my friend's God. It's my church's God. But I desire for him to be my God today. I need to be born again. I need to be saved. I'm talking to you for sure. Maybe you've prayed that prayer of salvation, but there's still a big difference. Again, I don't, I don't, I look back, and again, I, I didn't own my faith till age 23, uh, and it's through a crisis of faith when I, when I kind of saw this difference. I don't want to say I never did, but I, there was a moment when, I had, when I, re, I had to separate what I in it had inherited to where I was going from that point on. I don't believe 23 is when I got saved. But maybe you prayed a prayer and you meant it, but your faith is still because of this is just who I've always been around. This has been my culture, and there's nothing wrong with that. God bless you and thank God for cultures and legacies and families and churches and all the influences that God puts in our lives to keep us on track. But will you say, perhaps for the first time, Jehovah is my God. Jesus Christ is not simply the Lord. He is my Lord. I'm talking about a reconnection, a recommitment. And if you desire to do either one of those things, give your life to Christ for the first time, or say today, God, he is my God. Come up here. Let me just pray with you real quickly. I'm going to pray as you can make your way up here if you've already made that decision. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for showing us uh, that you have loved us. We, your patience and your provision and everything, every way you've blessed it, blessed us and, and protected us over the years has been to preserve us for your plan. And it's my prayer, I believe it's the prayer of every saint in this room today, that if there's anybody here who does not know you as Father, has never accepted as payment for their salvation the finished work of Jesus Christ, that you would move on their hearts as only you can. Convict the sinner of his need for Christ, her need for Christ, and fill them with a desire and a boldness and a humility a wisdom to come and receive that free gift of eternal life this morning, now. And I pray for the person who has prayed that prayer of salvation because they believe in you. They believe in heaven, they believe in hell, and they want to go to heaven. That's where I was, Lord, and you know it. But they have never owned their faith. They have accepted that gift of salvation and never said in their heart, this is my God. This is my God. You are my God. Would you move on them, Lord, also? 
to come and make that fresh commitment to you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you come. Let's go ahead and sing. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.